I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Um, good morning to you. Welcome to those who are visiting today. And um, we're, um, when I was back there, I've had two people ask me this morning when I talked about all we were going to do today. They want to know, are we still going to have a sermon too? Um, and yes, we are. Um, and I, only have, I don't have three points. I have two points um, this morning. So um, that's good. Two points in six parts. No, um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, today... We are actually starting a new sermon series on loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor. And I will start with the closest relationships and kind of move outward. I want to say that we at Christ Central have been characterized, and I think we would like to ideally be thought of as a church that is a good neighbor and whose people, and whose people are good neighbors. As it turns out, I believe we have fallen down a little in this area, and I believe some of us are hoping that someone else or somehow this church is loving those around them. If you aren't doing it and doing it consistently, then guess what? There is no chance that we are really loving our neighbors well. And loving our neighbor, we must do. And we must do well because it is the right and necessary uh, outworking of being a people who claim to love and know the love of Jesus. It is Christian to love your neighbor. The Bible even tells us that you can't claim to love God whom you haven't seen when you fail to love one another who you do see. This loving your neighbor thing is more than a mark of nice people, of being a nice church. It is the God-given freedom and calling of people who have been redeemed by Jesus. And if you are a believer or, uh, or not a believer, rather, or even a skeptical believer about church people, I will bet that one reason you may be struggling with church and this Christianity thing is because you have experienced less love from believers in God's church and what feels at times like more love from the world of the, no, the not-so-church. How can this be when God's people in church should be marked by love? How can believers let this thing ride, shifting and casting blame or turning a blind eye or ear to their neighbors? So where do we start? Well, the Bible says clearly that God is love and that God so loved the world that he gave salvation to it. So we must start at not only the one who is the epicenter and source of human love and community, but with one who without doubt is our closest Neighbor, God, our neighbor. Because God uh, created us originally, live in community with him as our God and us as his people. We must not only first live with God as our neighbor, we must love God as our neighbor. We must live with God and we must love God. Look with me at verses 9 through 16 in this psalm. Sorry, let's start at verse 7. Where shall I go from your presence, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light light about me be night, even the darkness is not 
dark to you. The night is bright as a day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful your works. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. In your book, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Question 10 of the Children's Catechism, which is our doctrinal question and answer guide for people in in our children, uh, the children's version, asks this question. Where is God? Where is God? Yeah, heard it. (laughs) And the answer is easy, but will still floor you. God is everywhere. And where are you and me? There. And where is God? Everywhere. Which means when and you, when and if you are there, God is there. The psalmist in verse 9 even tries to move at the speed of light as if God can't keep up with us. Or in verse 10, that somehow God will get lost in a dark neighborhood. Get this. God is, and this is for you sports people, God is the Revis and Deion Sanders of our existence. He is on and with you, man. You can't fake him out. Let me put it this way. There is no there that is a there without God being there. How can I say it? God is in the neighborhood, wherever that neighborhood is. And it doesn't matter what kind of neighborhood you find yourself in. The psalmist says that if you and I are in heaven, if we are in hell, and even when you, when you were in the belly of your mama in that nice, warm, fairly safe, safe umbilical neighborhood, God was there too. So let's fill in all the places between life and death, heaven and hell, at work, God is your neighbor. At home, God is your neighbor. On vacation, God is your neighbor. With family on the boat, in jail, in bed, in trouble, doing good, in the lap of luxury, in the struggle, in the joy, and in pain, in the sunshine, and in the rain, God is there, and you must live with that fact. I mean, must. That God is, was, and will forever be in your neighborhood. But he is not only in our neighborhood, wherever and whenever that might be, God is the nosy neighbor. In my neighborhood back in Charleston, we have a new neighbor. Well, new meaning he's been there since I've been gone. That's a long time, but to me, he's new. He's just always standing in his front yard. He ain't sitting on the porch like normal folk. He ain't cutting the grass. He's just standing looking around. Not, I mean, just, and he always wants to borrow something when he sees more than the usual cars or number of cars in the front yard or in the driveway. And my dad was like, he only comes when we have guests. He's nosy. He's a nosy neighbor because he wants to know. Well, we must live with God because he's not a nosy neighbor, N-O-S-Y snooping to find out. No, he's much worse than that. This scripture is saying he is a K-N-O-W-S-Y neighbor. He already, according to the psalm here, knows and has known and will know everything going on in your house, outside of your house, even in the closet, the attic, in the basement. But hold on though, he is nosy in your heart 
and in your mind. Wait, wait, there's more. He knows before you know. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're going to know before you know it. He knew you before you knew there was a you. He is a nosy neighbor. Like I've shared with y'all before, what my daddy used to say that would make me scratch my head and confound me a bit when I would try to get over on him or away from him on something. Howard, I know you better than you know yourself. Man, that's terrible. My mama used to say, boy, when you thought you got up at six, I was up at four. Where can I escape from being known? Now, now, how can someone be that all up in your business better than you yourself can? God knows you better than anyone, even you. He sees as soon as you build a fence to kind of stop God, you realize you built the fence and he's on that side of it. You try to build a wall and God's already there. In fact, in verse 17, the psalmist begins to count how many thoughts God must have in the neighborhood of people, well, just him in this case, he must know that intimately is God our neighbor. And the psalmist says, he went to sleep counting that high. You want to go to sleep? Don't count sheep. Count how many thoughts God must have about you. Count how much God must know. Count how many, ner- how many uh, words he knows. Count how many hairs on your head that he has made account for, right? I mean, the, the psalmist is saying he had to go to bed counting. He fell asleep dizzied and overwhelmed probably by it. And, and then when he woke up, guess what? Verse 18 says what? God was right there knowing and being. He couldn't keep up with the count. God puts a whole new definition on the word nosy. Because he don't have to go looking for the truth about you or looking for you. Whatever or however you are, he already knows. So this is what I recommend. (laughs) There's no need to run. There's no need to hide. There's no need to pretend to go to places in your mind to get away from the knowledge of God. You can't even sleep and get away from him. You can't even die and get away from him. On the other side, as a matter of fact, let me warn you for those who think you can die and get away from God. On the other side, he'll be your neighbor more vibrantly and awesomely than he was in what you may have experienced on earth. So live with the reality, deal with the reality, come to the serious terms with the fact that God, the God of the Bible, is all over it and all over you and all over there. Just just marinate on that a little bit. God is in the neighborhood you are residing and living and developing for yourself. And depending on where you are in your beliefs, or in your walk, this God-neighbor thing could be a great comfort, a real sickening, and a big irritation and pain and discomfort. You can live with peace, live at peace or in unrest with God forever. There's only one way to live at peace with, the God, with God being your forever, omnipresent, omniscient, holy, holy, and holy neighbor. Love your neighbor, God. 
Just give in and love your neighbor, God. Now, this love for God is expected can be somewhat daunting. I would say that God's a beast. That's a term y'all like to use these days. That he can go beast mode on you. I love that term. Man, I'm beast. Or that's beast. Okay. In popular language, I'm not cool anymore. But the theologian in me would have to stay away from that awesome description since God was not created and cannot be confused with any creature or beast. So let's stick with this. We must love God because he is the Lord. He's the Lord. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Remember we talked about earlier, it seems to imply that David may have fallen asleep counting God's thoughts. <laughs> Imagine that, counting God's thoughts. But there's also a chance, according to the language here, that he might have simply, as a human being, be, that he became overwhelmed, fainting, right? Falling smack out, trying to imagine and encompass God's lordship, God's divine mind and ability and sovereignty and power. It, it was too much for David. Okay, let's get into the psalmist's shoes. God, the Lord is your neighbor, which means this. Any dispute over you, your lifestyle, your stuff, the boundaries of, of where and how and why you live are, are beyond your ability to dispute or out or overthink the Lord who has made you and everyone else in the womb that ever existed and who created every facet of this multifaceted and extremely complicated universe. And we are just talking about what you and I can see and sense. We haven't even gotten into the divine balance sheet of what can't be seen and known in heaven or in the spirit world by you and me. Let me say it again clearly. Your neighbor and possibly the one who you are having a moral how to live my life. I don't like what your Bible says. I want to change it or reason with you and get over it. God, you are too hard. Boundary dispute with or the God you are trying to ignore to keep throwing trash in his world, which is his neighborhood he is allowing you to live in, the trash of your disdain for his holiness. That neighbor is the Lord. The Lord God himself always and forever. Amen, right? So now what do we do in loving God, our neighbor? Your neighbor is God. So sit down, kneel down, bow down, or get up, stand up, and lift up and love him because he is the Lord and he rules and he wins. He wasn't born a ruler and a winner. When you were born, he was already the ruler and winner before all time began, much less your little life. And the Lord, your neighbor, like it or not, is therefore not only the Lord, but your Lord. I grew up on a street named Trishel Lane. Strange name. You on Trickle Street? No, Trishel. Get it right. Strange name if you don't know the story. There's a man who lived in, in an undeveloped cul-de-sac part of our neighborhood. We were in a developed part, and then there was this house way in the back. He had two daughters, Tracy and Michelle. See, y'all already smart. 
I knew Tracy, went to school with her, but I didn't know Michelle. She was either too old or young. But that was the man and family who sold the land to be developed that became the place I grew up on. Yes, you guessed it, smart people. Named after his two daughters, Tracy, Tracy and Michelle, combined the two names and voila, Trisha. <laughs> Living with God means that regardless of where you are, you live on his street with one name and one address. Let's call it Loving Him Street. Now, don't go get the vanity plate, Loving Him. We don't need that. That's corny. <laughs> but Loving Him Street is a compound word, much like Trichelle Lane, which is made up of two things. Loving God as your neighbor means you will trust and obey. Trust and obey together equals loving God. Loving God means you will live trusting and obeying God. We have some others like respect and honor or repent and worship or follow and abide. If you're going to live loving God as your neighbor, it necessitates trusting and obeying, respecting and honor, repenting and worshiping and following and abiding in him. And look where this love of God as neighbor takes King David, the psalmist here, in verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, I give up. I've given up. I don't even have to give up. This is the way it is. You are the Lord. You know everything. So be the Lord of my life. I won't fight you anymore. I welcome you to be and do what you already do and are. I come into conformity to your will. I like and love to trust and follow you. I love that you are the Lord, and I don't want to be anywhere or anything else but what and where you want me to be. I don't want to think or believe anything else outside of what you believe and what you want me to think, Lord, because you, Lord, are my neighbor, and my neighbor is my Lord, and I will, as I must, love him as such. And look how he expresses being a good, loving neighbor of the Lord God. Look with me at verse 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Oh, what a loving thing to say. Doesn't sound too loving. And we talk about loving your neighbor. Why did I pick this text? When I first, I was like, what in the world? Look like he hating his neighbors right there. You know, one of my um, favorite shows is Vikings on the History Channel. That show is Beast. Yes. And the idea of the Lord, somebody being your Lord, is one of complete submission. And love for your king and the honor of your king. Which means hating those and what would hate your king are congruent with loving your king. And what would hate your king, you don't want to be a part of. Because your will and desire and what you consider wrong and right is ultimately determined by what your Lord does. 
It even is true in less bloody shows like Downton Abbey. I like that one too. When a servant says, my Lord, my Lord, to Lord Grantham. Lord Grantham, my Lord. That means I will serve you and do what you like and hate. Be sad against what will dishonor you and your will. Have y'all remember the butler on Downton Abbey? I mean, dude got the messed up face. Anything that would mess up a social event. Homeboy's face is ready. Like that. When the, when the American butlers came over, the United States butlers came over, and they were all up in the room, hey, he was like, what are you doing in there? Get out of there. <laughs> he hated their behavior. He hated their looseness about things. Why did you not refer to him as my Lord? How dare you? Well, in our country, who cares about your country? And he's always got this grumpy face. The reason he's got the grumpy face is he is so committed to Downton Abbey and Lord Grantham and their social and them looking honorable and great that he despises anything that's going to mess it up. Unfortunately, we've become so selfish and unlordable in our culture. It is near impossible unless we have been in the military to understand what it means to have a lord. What it means to have someone you don't question because you can't because of their rank. That you take orders and ideas and thoughts and heart and will from their desire. And I understand you can question that because you wonder how good that person is that you're following. You're talking about the Lord. You're talking about the one who defines what goodness is. You're talking about the one who is what rightness is. There is no question about whether he is good and right and true and what he hates and he loves is good and right and true and how he views the world is right and good and true. Your Lord is the Lord. This is what it means to love God then, right? that you'll hate what comes against his honor. That you will be against what would make his neighborhood, this world, unholy, unjust, bloody, murderous, and adulterous, thieving, deceitful, and that wrongly displaying describes and lies about God and his word. That, that would be, as David describes, your enemies. What God believes and tells you is bad, not only about him, but you and your relationship with him. If you love God, it means doing things his way. Love his way and the way God sees it. This is being a loving neighbor to God and by extension to everyone else. Because the things you would hate, God hates because it hurts you and his honor. And so we must ask, are we loving God as our neighbor? Do we love and love to do and love who and what he does? And do we hate what, who, and how he does? Anything else is being a poor neighbor to God and as a creator God, a poor neighbor to everything and everyone in his neighborhood and in this world. He defines what makes a good neighborhood. Because he is the Lord in and of the neighborhood. And so if he says, this is bad for your neighborhood, and this is bad for your neighbor, then guess what? That is bad for your neighbor. That's why as we proceed in this series that, we, that if we don't love God, we will not be able to love others. And we'll inadvertently be harmful and hateful, even with good intention to others in this world. If we don't trust and obey and thus love him, he knows what and who are malevolent and bad for you and your friends and your family and neighborhood and yourself better than you do. He knows 
knows what will harm all the good things he has created and loves. You know what that tells us then? That we love God not just because he is Lord, but because he is a loving Lord. Look again at verses 19 to 22 quickly. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Written by David himself. If you know the history and how David is described in the Bible, you would recognize by saying, by his saying, hey, let's kick the riffraff out of your and our neighborhood, let's hate him. David puts himself among the riffraff. The Bible tells that David was not permitted to build God's temple as the king because God called him, get this, a bloody man. And then David's cursed by his own people as what? A bloody man, meaning doing unjust, evil, and neglectful things opposed to God, so much so that God forbids him building a house for him in the neighborhood of Jerusalem. This David did some incredible things, and God used him greatly, and he wrote these beautiful psalms, but he murdered a man and get his wife and basically kidnapped her to sleep with her. He let sexual abuse and rape between half-brother and sister happen in his home without dealing with it justly and fully. He told his son Solomon that the way to have a stable kingdom was to assassinate his rivals. He was a bloody man! He was a man of blood, and look who he hates. And in doing so, describe who God hates in verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. Is David the psalmist not talking about himself here? The question then is not why we should love God as our neighbor, but how could God love And have people like David, a hypocrite at face value, the kind of people who shouldn't and can't live in God's moral and holy neighborhood and community. How can we be God's neighbor? And how would and why God let us be and dare try to love him? David's saying, I hate people who park on their grass. It's against the neighborhood covenant. And his grass is burned up with car oil. I hate people who have torn down fences in the neighborhood. Don't they know that's against the covenant? Lord, I'm for getting rid of those people. And his fence half done. Here's the truth. God's whole neighborhood, even his holy neighborhood of believers, is made up of riffraff who used to hate him whom he is made to love him. The only way for David to love God is for God to be a loving neighbor first to David. So that sinner, a sinner like David could be good neighbors with God. You know, when we first started Christ Central, a lot of us were young folk, no kids. And I remember living a hood was cool for many of us. We're going to go and save and love the hard, transitional neighborhoods and neighborhood people. And that's true for a lot of Christians. Until the kids come, right? For some of us. Some of us hanging strong, that's fine. 
Now that stray bullet or the hood philosophies and ethic, the not so excellent enough, here's the big one, for your kids' schools, hope they get into a magnet or else we selling. Become a problem for those you love the most, right? And you'll be doggone if you will sacrifice them or feel like you need to to live in that place with those people. (laughs) But isn't that what God did for the psalmist? And has and will do for us. David loves God as his neighbor because God loved David as his sinful neighbor. By sending his son to be bloodied by David's bloodiness. And loathed with David's shame. And forsaken, sent away, as the psalmist says, from God's holy neighborhood. Forsaken by the Father. And as verse 19 says, slain, bearing our sins and hated so that you and I along with King David could be a loving and loved neighbor of God. What does it mean to be a neighbor of God? Doesn't Jesus' coming tell us? God came to live with us. God came to love us. You and I can be loving and peaceful and good neighbors of God only if we recognize and let God be a loving neighbor to us by accepting and turning to his son, Jesus Christ. It is not your goodness. It will not be your love for others or your love for what is right that will make you a loving and good neighbor as we go through this series. But your expressed love for God that only comes and is sustained by his loving sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Believers! Please turn to Jesus and away from your sin and bondage and struggle with God over your property lines of how much you're going to truly give in commitment and repentance to God and turn back to the Christ you already know. And if you're an unbeliever today, God, a loving God, is your neighbor and has come to live with you. And love you into righteousness. Turn to him today. You can't run. You can't hide. Your sinful fences between you and him will not stop him from seeing it and loving it. All despite your mess because he is full of mercy and grace. God is your neighbor. Because he lives with you and he loves you. God, our neighbor.